Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Prevention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Hold the Line. So I'm going to get started with a couple of listener questions. They're both from someone called Mark. And his first question is, I was wondering if you use placeboards as a training tool. And if so, maybe you can cover this in an upcoming episode. So I do use placeboards a little bit, but I don't kind of have them as a, a central feature of the training that I do. I'll tell you how I use them. So I tend to use them with a puppy or a young dog which is beginning three-handed casting. So they're beginning to go left, right, and back. And I might not have finished the clicker retrieve with them yet. So the retrieve isn't reliable or they're not massively motivated for the dummies. So I need to, um, I find it works better if I give them another reason to want to go left, right, and back. So teaching the puppy to target a place board, which is a little bit like teaching a dog to target a mat, for example, it's the same kind of principle. And then using multiple place boards, so put out at back, left and right, and working on three-handed casting to place boards, clicking when the puppy touches the place board or gets on the place board, and then going there and delivering the treat to the dog on the place board in a sip. So there's actually videos of me doing that with my Vimerana puppy, and probably further back with my GSP puppy on my Facebook site if you want to look back through previous videos and there will be a course on my site on three-handed casting where you can um, peruse even more videos at your leisure or leisure if you're in North America um, so <laughs> so yes yeah, so that's one way to use it another way to use it is if a dog is having problems with steadiness I find that it really helps them to sit on a place ball because the place ball kind of holds them in that place holds them to that place so they, you're, they're less reliant on, on a leash and on some, some sort of physical prevention. And it's more clear to them where they're supposed to be. So they have an exact target where they're supposed to uh, position themselves. And so it's a lot easier for them to remain in position, I find, if they're struggling with steadiness. So it's also good on that note, when I'm training multiple dogs, when I'm working with one dog, I'll put one of the other dogs on the place board or two of the other dogs on the place board. So they've got a re they've got something to stick their bums to, basically. They've got a reason to stay in that place. Um, equally, if you have checked out any of uh, Denise Fenzi's uh, material from her high drive dog, site she's using a platform which is basically a place board 
to help lower arousal levels. So if a dog is getting too aroused, she's found that reducing movement and giving it a platform to sort of cling to or hold to helps the dog lower their own arousal levels. I think that's really interesting as well because the alternative often if you don't have a platform is that you have a dog lunging around on the end of a leash trying to get to stuff around them and that often just builds up frustration for the dog. So anytime there's sort of tension on that leash, it's building up frustration, um, we find. So so for those people, for those dogs, the place ball can be really helpful in that respect as well. I completely agree. So it, it kind of helps the dog lower that because they have to hold themselves there. You're not like holding them on the place board in the same way that you might end up restraining them physically on a leash. So that that helps them learn how to moderate their own arousal levels, I think. Anyway, so those are the kind of ways that I've been using place boards. Um, are there other ways to use place boards? I don't know. I don't see them as a central part of what I do, though. I could do probably most of these things without a place board. So they're not, you know, sort of a uh, essential for me. So I hope that makes sense as far as place boards go. Um, what is your other question? So your other question was... Um, I also wanted to ask at what age you would start thinking of introducing the clicker retrieve. So that kind of depends a little bit on the puppy. So if you've got a puppy which is teething and has got sensitive teeth, then you don't want to introduce it at that time if you find their teeth are bothering them. So some puppies are very stoic about their teeth and they don't seem to mind. You know, they're happy to play tuggy and they're happy to do all kinds of things with their mouth while teething. And other puppies, you can clearly see that it's hurting them and that they don't want to do certain things with their mouths. So you might have to be a bit more careful if you've got a puppy which is teething and going through a difficult phase with that. But apart from that, there's not really any sort of limit in terms of how early you can do it. For me, it's going to be more about what other stuff do I need to spend my my training time and treats on so do i need to use them to teach the puppy to go in their crate on cue to come out of their crate when released um to train um, focus or attention or positions or you know there's lots of other stuff that i want to be training so the clicker retrieve i don't do right off the bat because of this other material that i want to train first but that's not because the puppy couldn't do it it's just because I, i want to spend that time doing these other things And in that time, before the clicker retrieve, I am doing two important things. Number one, I am doing what I call play retrieves. So, you know, just exciting the puppy with an object and throwing it out and letting the pup run and get it and and being exciting and trying to encourage them to come back to me with it. And then when they come back to me, not taking it off them right away, but gently stroking them. Or I might have a second object that I use to then throw out. So once they've dropped the first one, I'll then throw out the second one. And we do sort of, you know, the swap game. So I'm kind of trying to build that interest in retrieving before the clicker retrieve. And the other thing that I'll do is make sure that I'm not repeatedly taking stuff off the puppy around the house. So if the puppy is picking up underwear, picking up, um, I don't know, the TV remote control, anything that they find lying around the house, I'm not going to be chasing the puppy and opening their mouth and taking stuff out of their mouth physically because that is sort of setting a bad precedent for our future retrieve training because it's teaching the puppy that when they have something in their mouth which is valuable they should run away from me with it and it can actually end up with resource guarding so we definitely don't want to go down that route so I would make sure I've always got some treats in my pocket and that if the pup picks up something that I don't want them to have I'd put the treat on the puppy's nose and the puppy would drop the item because they want the treat 
And then, this is the important bit, I would lure the puppy away from the dropped item on the floor with one hand, while with the other hand, I pick the item up behind the puppy so the puppy doesn't see me pick it up. So I hope that helps and answers those questions. Hold the line. So I'm going to talk a little bit here about the remote stop, seeing as that is what my Fenzy workshop is going to be about. So hopefully it might whet your appetite for what is to come. So the remote stop, and I'm going to be talking about it here largely as a set because that's what I basically train. But if you want a remote stand, for example, if you live somewhere where you want a woe behavior, then you're just training a different position in all of this. So it doesn't, you know, the method is pretty much the same. It's just that instead of uh, training the sit on the end, you are just going to be training your stand. So from that perspective, it's pretty simple to switch those two out and it doesn't radically change what we're doing. So the first thing I want to say is that it's really good to start training the remote sit when your puppy is quite young. So how young is quite young? Well, 15 weeks-ish. So I like to do it this early because I find that the puppy doesn't have much of a learning history of getting lots of treats near you. Now, if you try to train this with, I don't know, a much older dog, say, which has a lot of history of learning close to you, then that dog, when you want your dog to remain at a distance from you, is going to want to come back to you all the time. And this is one of the hardest parts of training the remote sit, is trying to work out a way to get the dog to not want to come back to you to receive the reinforcer. So I like to start with little puppies because they have no preconceived ideas about training. They don't know that training happens in your vicinity necessarily. So for them, it's all a blank slate. It's all kind of fresh and new. And you can really capitalize on that by teaching this from quite an early age. Now, the other good thing about it is it doesn't require, the first stage of it at least, doesn't require any other um, training, positions, or you know anything basically. You can start it with, the, with a puppy that doesn't know anything at all, apart from the clicker, have to recognize the click sound. Or if you want to use a ball reinforcer, you have to have trained a marker cue for your ball to be thrown. So apart from that, it doesn't require any previous training. So the way that I like to do this is to have a stage, first of all, which I call capturing stillness. So capturing stillness basically means that when your puppy stops still at a distance from you, that you click and throw a treat to the puppy. Now, you can also, if you've got a dog which values tennis balls, give your verbal marker cue for tennis balls like ball or whatever your your cue is and throw the tennis ball instead. So the principle is the same, whatever the reinforcer is that you're using. If you want to use food, I recommend that you use cheddar, pale cheddar, because it's going to show up. Not that you can get unpale, can't get dark cheddar, really, can you? So just cheddar. Well, actually, if you live somewhere where you have access to multiple gourmet cheeses, you can use any cheese of your preference, as long as it's a hard white cheese. And then to cut up quite big chunks of it so you can throw it quite far. So the reason for cheddar is that it's pale. So when you throw it on the ground, it's going to stand out and it's going to be really easy for your dog to find it quickly. Because what we don't want is the dog's earned a reinforcer and you've thrown it. And then the poor dog has to spend ages trying to find their reinforcer. and It all gets a bit, it can make it, can make it difficult to get many reps in. And it can, I think, be a bit punishing for the dog because they just don't get that thing they've earned very quickly. They've got to look for it. So we want the dog to be able to find the reinforcer relatively quickly. So I think 
Cheddar is a great choice. And the reason for having quite big chunks is because it throws further. So you can get better distance in if you have quite big chunks of it. You won't be able to do too many reps in a session because you, you know, there's a limit to how much cheese you can feed a dog. But yeah, so like four to six biggest chunks of cheese is what I would usually use in each session. So how do we get this behavior of the dog standing still for us to be able to mark it and throw the reinforcer? So I would kind of wander around the field that I was using. I would pick just one field, one smallish outdoor area, because I don't want the puppy to be constantly moving, constantly wowed by the environment. I want the environment to get a little bit boring because that's when the puppy's going to start going, well, okay, I'm a bit bored of this now. What do we do next? And that's when you're going to get stopping and looking at you sort of things starting to happen. So you might need to walk around the area a couple of times so that that your puppy kind of starts to get a bit uh, used to it. And by the way, it doesn't have to be with a puppy. So I know I've said it's best to do with a puppy, but you can do this with an older dog as well. You might just be fighting more of that urge for the dog to come back to you than you would be if you started with a young pup. So you're going to wander around the smallish area and every now and again, you can stop and see what your dog does. When you stop, does your dog stop and look at you and be like, why have you stopped? If they do, click and throw your treat. Throw the treat beyond the dog. So you don't want to throw it so the dog is encouraged to come back towards you at all. So if anything, you want to err on the side of throwing the treat behind the dog so that you're really discouraging this this sort of um, urge to come back towards you. So after you've done that, you just meander on a little bit more and wait and see if you can get another one of these um, standing still at a distance things happening. So the thing to say about this is that once your dog's cottoned on as to what exactly it is that is making you click and treat, they will start to stop and look at you quite a lot. And some people get a bit alarmed at this point and think, wait a minute, I want my dog to hunt <laughs> and quarter and you know run about everywhere. I don't want them to keep stopping and looking at me. So don't worry is my answer to that. So if you, when we get to the next point, next stage where we add the cue, then we're going to stop um, reinforcing the dog for stopping by themselves. And as soon as we stop reinforcing them, they're going to stop doing it. So don't worry about the fact that they're going to start offering this to you. In fact, it's great if they start offering it to you because it gives you at this point more of an opportunity to capture it and throw your treat. So I am using the word capture as, you know, the clicker word capture, meaning the behavior is happening anyway, and we're just capturing it. So we're not really doing anything. We've set up, we set up a lot of things to make the behavior likely to occur, but then we're not really, you know, luring the dog or doing anything else to kind of get the behavior. We're just waiting for the dog to offer it. And one reason that I really like doing it this way is it's not really possible for the dog to go wrong with it. So We haven't given the dog a cue. We haven't asked the dog to do something. So therefore, there's kind of no pressure on us, really. And there's no pressure on the dog because it's not really going to go wrong. It either happens or it doesn't happen. If the dog does it, they get reinforced. And if they don't do it, well, we just keep meandering and waiting for the dog to offer it to us. So this is my favorite way of um, achieving this capturing stillness idea, which I see as the first stage of the remote stop. And I also think it's part of what makes this really easy to train. A lot of people struggle with the remote stop and it can get quite punitive with people sort of running at their dogs or um, being intimidating and things like that. And if you start it like this, where you prioritize just the stopping still side of things, then it all just becomes everything else that follows becomes a lot easier because you kind of split the behavior down a bit more. So sometimes, though, we do have dogs 
which find this particularly difficult. And it might be dogs, you know, those older dogs that have a, a lot of history of coming back towards the handler. And they might just not be offering you much stillness at a distance at all. They might just be constantly trying to come back. So for those dogs, there is an indoor version that I use, which is the version that I used to use all the time. And that's the reinforcement zone. So if you have my book, then there is a section on the reinforcement zone and some drawings on how to achieve it as well This via this method um, at the back of the book towards the end. So the reinforcement zone version of things, which is basically starts with capturing stillness, but indoors. So you will use an area which is quite large in your house. If you've got a hallway, that often works quite well. Um, sometimes you have a larger indoor area, or you might even be lucky enough to have access to a large training indoor area, a facility. So if you do, that's excellent. So what you would do is you would start out with some treats and you would make sure that the color of your treats contrasts with the color of the floor, because again, you want the dogs to be able to find the treats quite easily. And you want to be able to throw them a reasonable distance too. So not anything like, for example, grated grated cheese or shredded chicken, shredded roast chicken or anything which gets in little bits and just, you know, which is just going to fall on the floor in the wrong place, basically. So you want something you can throw to a good distance. So you would start out by throwing your treats over and over again to a certain area at a distance from you. You don't want to make this your maximum far away area that you can possibly throw treats to because you won't be able to throw them consistently to that location. So it has to be somewhere that you can consistently within a couple of meters throw treats to. So with that in mind, the maximum distance, but with that in mind. So there you're throwing your treats and you're throwing them in an overarm way. So you're lifting your arm up to your shoulder and you're just throwing them over your head. So you're just going to throw the dog freebies. The dog's not being asked to do anything. You're just chucking treats at the dog in this particular zone. That's the reinforcement zone. And you're just throwing them there over and over and over again. Now, every now and again, maybe every sort of four or five treats, you're going to lift your hand up and wait and see what the dog does. So the dog is going to finish snuffling around on the floor and they're going to look up at some point. Hopefully, when they look up, they see you holding your arm up in the air like you were about to throw another treat. And you can even do some fake throws with your arm. Now, when the dog sees that, they will often stop, stop coming towards you, stop still, because they think you're about to throw another treat. And that's the stillness that you're going to capture. So you're going to click that stillness and then throw that treat behind the dog again, just like outdoors, behind the dog. So these are the different ways, the two different ways, two different options for achieving the first stage of the remote sit, which I call capturing stillness. If you want to know about the rest of the stages, then you're going to have to sign up for my workshop. So again, it's on the FenzyDogSportsAcademy.com website and you want to click on workshops at the top of that page. So I hope to see you there. Hold the line. Okay, that's all for this week, folks. It is short and sweet, and I will see you again next time.